Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. As you know, it is March Madness time once again, which means that not only will people tweet out photos of their brackets like a proud parent putting up pictures of their child on Facebook, but it also means that every sports media outlet in the world will come up with some goofy pop culture-centric bracket for our own amusement, such as our good friends at SB Nation, who unleashed upon an unsuspecting public today the breakfast cereal bracket. And here are your top seeds. These are your top four seeds. Lucky Charms, Frosted Flakes, Honey Nut Cheerios, and Captain Crunch. Hmm. You seem vexed. Yeah, Frosted Flakes is a number one. Yeah, get that out of there, right? It's good. It's good. It's a good cereal for the 10 seconds before it becomes a giant bowl of coagulated mush. Get them out of there. Elevate the number three seed cinnamon. Putting cinnamon toast crunch as a number three seed in a cereal bracket is like putting Duke in the play, play, play in game. Like it is such poor seeding and so undeserved of how great that cereal is. Get frosted flakes out of there. Make cinnamon toast crunch a one seed. So you got toast crunch, honey nut. You keep them. Captain crunch. Uh, I go back and forth on Captain Crunch. You could maybe keep them there if, if your other options are like Raisin Bran and, and, and Cocoa Puffs. Like you could keep, you could keep Captain Crunch there. I'm fine with that. Captain Crunch, Honey Nut, Frosted Flakes, but then Lucky Charms. I don't know about you, but I'm no longer eight. So the appeal of, uh, purple horseshoes and green clovers, mush- the, 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 the dried astronaut ice cream-esque marshmallows in a, in a Lucky Charms cereal, not as appealing to me now as it was back in the day. It was appealing to me only because my mother would only buy alphabets, which is Lucky Charms without the marshmallows because it's <laughs> somewhat healthier. Frosted Flakes is the number one to me. That's like Virginia in last year's tournament. They're going to get soggy real fast. Uh, <laughs> you know, Honey Smacks, that's like the only, that, there are three seed in this. That's yeah. the cereal that you get when you show up to a continental breakfast at 9.45 and it ends at 10 and that's all they have left. So Right, and they have the little twisty knob uh, cereal bin that you could use to get that. Um, all right, coming up on the show today, Rick Tockett will join us. He is, of course, the coach of the Arizona Coyotes, the resurgent wild card uh, contending Arizona Coyotes. Dmitry Filipovich, who is, of course, an ESPN personality now, will join us to uh, put his big brain on display. That and more on the latest edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, National NHL reporter. And we begin the podcast today with news from the NHLPA. The NHLPA, the National Hockey League Players Association, well, they put out their own survey, uh, their player poll. It's an annual thing. Now, you may remember that The Athletic did a variation of this, did their own player poll, and uh, uh, the... NHLPA player poll actually begins with a little bit of shade, saying it's often imitated but never duplicated, which I, I give props to them for, um, you know, Leaning the athletic in, owning to steal it. Or thunder. Lean in, NHLPA. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to get to right away. Number one, do you really, really believe that Ron Hainsey is going to be a great analyst one day? <laughs> because, like, 2% of players do. I think in the case of Ron Hainsey, and, and that, that category was really interesting, actually, for a reason I'll get to in a second. But, like, to me, th- that's saying that Ron Hainsey has a really good personality. Mm-hmm. And and I think that he does. Um, same thing with Keith Yandel. Like, Keith Yandel won both, like, funniest player and uh, best TV analyst once they retired. Like, he was second for best TV analyst. So I think that's another situation of a guy being... Um, having a good personality and being like, oh, he'd be good on television. So the best TV analyst, once they retire, the winner of that category was P.K. Subban with 10.8% of the vote. Now, I find this interesting because, you know, it reminds me of when Jeremy Roenick was playing. And I said to myself that Jeremy Roenick was going to grow up to be our Charles Barkley. Like, I was (laughs) always of that mindset that he was going to retire 
and he was going to be the JR that he was on the ice or in the locker room on TV and saying things controversial. And you got to tune in to watch out what Jeremy Roenick's going to say. And then he got on television and he didn't have anything interesting to say. And then by this year, he's dressing up as a leprechaun at the Winter Classic. So I'm worried because I don't think P.K. Subban is the same interesting P.K. Subban that he was when he first started. I really don't. I, I, I feel like he has become much more measured. Um, he can still be very provocative sometimes. I mean, we're only a couple years removed from the Listerine gate. But I think since he went sort of, and I hate to say this, but since he went kind of Hollywood, I feel like P.K. Subban has not been as interesting a, uh, a, 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 and as candid I mean, look no further than the TV show he just did. Like that, that was a TV show that was completely a product rather than being anything that was really all that engaging. Now, and, and I feel like I, I worry he'd be the same way now on television. I worry that too, but I think that it was a very prescient pick that 10.8% of players believe that he would make the best TV analyst because frankly, I think that's who TV is probably going to target. Like they have oh, an idea, sure. the Hollywoodization of it. Um, honestly, the guy who didn't make the list that I would pick, Patrick Kane. I think he'd be terrific. I think mm. he's very unvarnished. I think he would give his take. I wonder, though, um, if what TV network would, uh, you know, if A, if he wants to do that, and, and B, you know, if, if some of other things that happened in the past would prevent him from doing that. Alex Daylock was really interesting to me. Uh, he got 2% of the votes. I've never had a conversation with him, but now I feel like I must. <laughs> uh, and Ryan Reeves, who ended up on, like, the trash-talking best list, the trash-talking worst list, and also on TV analysts. And I almost wonder if he could be the Charles Barkley because he's a guy that's not afraid of throwing darts and just saying something outrageous and seeing what sticks. I think Ryan Reeves is a really interesting one. And I've I've talked to some people recently that said he's tight with Scott Oak up in Canada, and he did some interviews um, uh, in, on, on Hockey Night in Canada and uh, and really came off well. I, I mean, I've always had good conversations with the dude. I think he's a really insightful guy. The, the Patrick Kane suggestion is an interesting one, but I will ask you this: he's a he's a hockey nerd. He knows what he's talking about, but dude has the most laid back voice <laughs> I've ever heard. Do you think that would ever translate to television? There's a little bit of voice coaching, my friend. That's all you need. <laughs> project, Patrick. Project. Project. Um, couple other off-ice ones that were interesting. Who would make the best GM once they retire? Sidney Crosby's won this a couple years running. I actually asked Sid about this last season, and he said he had never really considered becoming a general manager, which I believe was more like, I am robot brain. I only think about the, what is the game in front of me kind of situation. He's never anybody I'm who thinks about legacy. I'm only thinking about the Ottawa Senators playing. on Tuesday. Yeah, like, yeah, he just, right. He never thinks about what's coming next. Um, Jason Spezza. Uh, number two, Brooks Orpik, number three. I would love to be the team, the fan of the team that hires Brooks Orpik to be your talent evaluator. <laughs> uh, touche. I think that what that's getting at is it's a guy who thinks differently, thinks very analytically, uh, is very forward thinking. Uh, he's one mm -hmm. of the first players, I think, to really adopt onto new nutrition and things like that. So I like that pick. I, Jason Spezza, though, I think he has aspirations to do that, and he's someone I would not be shocked in that role. Um, and Mark Shifley, he made that list, right? Mm -hmm. He's the other kind of hockey nerd where I think as a TV analyst, he would be a little bit too buttoned up. Um, mm -hmm. I know the Winnipeg media complains a lot because they know that he has so much personality and is so smart and looks at the game in such an interesting way. And then when he goes up and does an interview, it is the most vanilla of all vanillas there ever was. That would not project well on TV. But as far as being a talent evaluator and in rising ranks of the GM office, I think that would play very well. Right. I also find it interesting um, that Derek Stepan made the list. He made the list last year, too. He must be like the most insightful guy behind the scenes uh, because he keeps on making these lists. Um, one of the best categories they have is best trash talker and worst trash talker. And the winner of both is Brad Marchand. Marchand <laughs> won best trash talker with 21% of the vote. He won worst trash talker with 12.5% of the vote. I can only imagine this is a situation in which you, you are dealing with quantity. And so if you throw enough darts at the board, some of them are going to hit the wall, right? So like, he's got some winners and he's got some losers, I think. My take on this, and because there was a lot of crossover there, uh, Nick Cousins, he made a... Right? Uh, yeah, both lists, uh, is that taste is subjective. You can think trash talk is really good or you can think it's really lame and trashy. And uh, that's kind of where I went there. I love seeing Claude Giroux there, though. I, I mm -hmm. had no idea he was a yapper. 
Oh, he's a yapper and a bit of a grabber. So uh, best female player was a category that I think might have been new this year. I don't know if they did it last year or not, but Hillary Knight beat Marie uh, Philippe Poulin, which only tells me that there were more Americans polled in this than there were Canadians. As Amanda Kessel got the third amount of votes. And right, exactly. And also and no goalies, which I thought was also maybe indicative of this being a skater's poll versus a goalie's poll. The only player that I thought was really missing from this, um, especially this past year, is Brianna Decker. I think uh, mm-hmm. she definitely For sure. would have deserved some votes mm-hmm. if you watched some women's games lately. Right. And this, and no one's sure when this was done, this poll. So that may be before her I incredible skills competition. I believe the polling was between September and January, they said. Oh, okay. I believe I saw that footnote. I was so this is before this is before Deckergate. So maybe after mm-hmm. Deckergate, it would have been a different situation. Mm-hmm. Touche. Um Connor wins both uh, best forward, most talented player, toughest to defend, and franchise player, which is pretty amazing. But like, would you vote him MVP? <laughs> I would not. I mean, apparently all of this stuff is is okay for guys that are a mile out of the playoffs. Um, franchise player is always an, an interesting one for me in these polls because I don't know if there's – the only other answer that I could possibly muster up about, like, who would you start a franchise with is if there was some – you know, Nick Lidstrom level defenseman, maybe I pick them. And I don't know if we have. I mean, the head, headman's maybe the closest thing we have to one. But Connor got 60%, Sid 18, Austin 4.3. That's fine. Like there, there's some team Matthews guys out there. But then Nathan McKinnon got four. If you have Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, or, and Nathan McKinnon in front of you, and someone says, I'm giving you $750 million for your own NHL team. Pick one. Who Who is taking Nathan McKinnon? Maybe Connor McDavid. He doesn't ever pick himself for these things. In fact, I know this because the NHLPA is, you know, getting on anybody who tries to do these. We did one at ESPN. I did my now and later poll, the best player in the world right now and the best player in the world four years from now, best team now, four years from now. And the funniest always every year is when I have to ask Connor McDavid these questions and the mm-hmm. pure anguish on his face when I say, who's the best player in the league right now? Mm-hmm. And he's just pausing and being really careful about how possibly he could answer this without picking himself, and he never does. So I'm guessing that he and maybe his teammates, he convinced Leanne Dreisett will never to vote for him either. Do you remember who he took this year, McDavid? I think he took uh, he took Sid. It's all anonymous, oh, okay. but he picks that's, Sid. That's a safe pick. And four years from now, I think he picked Austin. That's like asking Anne Hathaway who the best actress in the world is, and she says Meryl Streep, like even if she thinks it's herself. <laughs> um, um, most underrated player. Ones? Yeah, good there. You love um, underrated. The most I, I got, over, overrated underrated. I wrote about this on Friday. Again, like Barkoff at this point is now most underrated for like at least four years running. Fourth for the Selkie. Went to the NHL Awards with the Lady Bing. He he is now considered the most underrated player by everybody, which means he's rated. Enough. Pass the torch. We all know how good he is. Yeah, he plays for the Panthers and so nobody watches him. And they're never in the playoffs. I completely understand that. But he's rated. We all know how good he is. And for God's sakes... If you don't know that Nick, the eleven point four percent of you, that of you players that that think that Nick Backstrom at this point in his career, sixth in points since two thousand twelve, a Stanley Cup champion, is underrated at this point. Come on, like the old again. The only reason you could say that he's underrated is because he's quiet and because Ovi sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. But I mean, if you don't know, got on that list too, right? Who? Because that's off was right, yeah. yeah. So maybe it's the Ovechkin effect, but like, I'm, I'm listen. I'm happy Malkin's not on the list because that would have been insane. But Backstrom's almost as just the same insane now to have him on the underrated list. The best thing ever last night was Nashville beats Toronto. Apparently, Nashville now is like eight and one against the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, that was put out there by the program director at a Nashville radio station on Twitter. CM Punk, noted Blackhawks fan, tweets back, "Are you going to raise a banner?" And that's just so <laughs> so perfect. I love it so much that that Nashville's now the banner joke team now that A, the Capitals won, and B, we've used all the banner jokes. Finally, Emily, best NHL mascot. Number five, Victor E. Green. Number four, Ganache. Number three, UP, who is barely a hockey mascot. Number two, Carl, because he came from the Expos. He's He's a baseball mascot. Number two, Carlton the Bear, which means that S.J. Sharkey, who was number one on the ESPN mascot ranking, did not make the list. I don't know how I feel about that. 
Oh, and neither did Bailey. Bailey didn't make the list either. B.S. But number one with 69% of the vote, Emily. Gritty. Nice. (laughs) 69.4, and as someone on uh, Reddit pointed out, it's probably 69.420. For sure. For sure. All right. Uh, Coming up, uh, uh, Rick Tockett. All right. Joining us now on the line is Rick Tockett, head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, who are in the midst of a massive playoff push as we do the show today. They are currently in the final wild card seed in the Western Conference. And I guess uh, I, I guess the first question to you, Rick, is uh, if you still had hair, would you still have it having gone through the season that this team has had with all these injuries? It must have been maddening every time you turned around and somebody was leaving the lineup. If I had hair, it would definitely be gray. It might be white, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, – no, I'll tell you what, it's been a crazy year. Uh, it's been crazy, but, you know, you learn a lot of yourself about yourself, your team, players – uh, coaching, uh, just a lot of different things. So it's uh, it's been a great learning lesson for all of us. How do you feel you've evolved as a coach as the year has gone on? A lot more decisive. Um, I've said that before. I think, you know, when you, you've coached, I've coached a bunch of years in the league, and I think, uh, you know, mostly as an assistant, but I think as a head coach, you, you know, you got to pick your circle, and it, it's got to be very tight, and you got to be very decisive. And I think that's something that uh, will help you along um for any coaches is to be very decisive and get your information and then, and then go with your gut feeling. Yeah, that was something I, I remember talking to Todd Reardon from the Capitals about that earlier this year, actually about, you know, sometimes as a head coach, uh, you, you want to run it as a democracy. You want to get information from everywhere. You want to have people feel like they're involved in the process. We're all a team, that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's got to kind of be a, a dictatorship, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you know, you're responsible. Your head's on the line. I, but I think, I think, uh, as a coach, you got to be able to, um, you know, there's going to be some vulnerability there. You, you know, you're not always going to be right. Um, so, you know, I've I've learned a lot from our players. I mean, I've had players come up to me and tell me some of the thoughts they've had, and I've changed my mind because of their thoughts. So, I, I, I think as a coach, you can't really worry about, um, you know, who's making the decision or who's uh, giving you information. Um, it's you know you decipher decipher it and then obviously you make the decision. So yeah, I mean the dictatorship. I hate to use that word, but obviously uh, you know your head's on the chopping block, so you got to make those decisions. <laughs> Can you think of one example of a player coming up to you, and you guys having a conversation, and you changing the way you do things? Maybe it's a practice habit, maybe it's just a travel scheduling yeah. quirk, or whatever it was. Uh, I would say probably you know, we have a we have a the you know, rivers and most of the, the facility there is, is you know is, is our game rank our practice isn't that good you know it isn't that well and I, I don't like practicing there because it's not it's just not a good um, environment for practice and I, I you know so one day the, the guy, Brad Richardson a couple of guys the old yell came up and said can we practice there because it's really close to where most of the guys live. Yeah. And, um, you know, I changed my mind. I usually said, no, no, we're going to go to Gila. It's a, you know, it's a half an hour ride, but, you know, the facility's there. It's a better facility for us. But they were adamant and said, you know, don't worry, we'll be ready to play. So I changed the decision. We, uh, we had a practice there. The next game, we, I think we won like five nothing or something. So, you know, I'm glad I made that decision. You know, I changed my mind. Now, that doesn't mean I'm always going to change my mind, but, you know, they convinced me that those guys were going to be ready to play if we, if we practice at the practice facility. So things like that, I think. And then the players will respect you even more because they know that uh, you have a lot of faith in them. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about uh, Alex Golchenyuk. I find him to be kind of a fascinating player. He comes in that trade with Montreal, uh, probably doesn't come in with the most confidence uh, that he's had as a pro because of just things uh, the way things worked out with the Canadiens. Um, his numbers this year are, are, are a little bit down from where they were last year. Uh, but when you get a player like that who clearly needs a fresh start, how do you approach that player as a coach, and and how do you feel about his progress this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah I got cut out or something. No, no, hey, no worries. No worries. Yeah, just 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 hit me with that Galchenyuk goodness. Again. We'll be yeah, ready. Yeah. We'll, we can roll. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna talk about. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, So Alex had a tough start uh, with his injuries, um, and then you know we switch him obviously from center to wing. He's really uh, the last month of really come in his own. I think there's about six games or five games he's really impacted with, uh, whether it was an overtime goal, a shootout goal, or uh, he had a couple of two goal games where he won us the game. So you know, that was kind of the reason why we acquired him is to, to, to be that impact guy. You know, two two game, third period. You know, whether we get a power play or some kind of pressure situation where he's got that shot that can make it for us. And you know, he's really done a nice job the last month. 
Galchenyuk has 17 goals, which leads your team. Your second leading scorer is Brad Richardson with 16 goals. The team has never made the playoffs without a 20-goal scorer. You've got a ton of guys in double digits. It almost feels like, to me, this is a team that's kind of made of, you're not going to outscore teams, you have to outwork teams. And you're kind of buying in on that. What's your messaging with a team like that? Are you guys kind of maybe channeling the Vegas Golden Knights last year, the Golden Misfits? You know what, I mean, that's a great question because I think two months ago we really embraced the fact that, you know, we, we, you know even last year, the last 30 years, we're a pretty good darn team that defends well. You know, um, we had some good stats the last, you know, 80 games or so if, if, from present day till where we can we can keep the puck on our net and defend well. They think guys have hung their hat. That's their mantra. It's like you play the Cubs, obviously the work ethic has to be there. You know, like we can't outscore teams, but we defend the puck well. You know, I was most proud of in our team that was last game against Tampa. I think Tampa had seven seven chances um, all game. And uh, you're talking about a team that's what 30 points ahead of everybody in the league with a star power. So I think that's the kind of um, you know, the, the stuff that gets us really excited is that we know that when we go into a game, if we defend well, we can stay in games and then hopefully get timely goals. And we have been. We have, that's the reason why we are where we are now is we were getting timely goals the last month. How do you uh, handle a playoff race like this where you might not have a ton of guys on the roster that have, have ever even been in one? Um, is it? Is Is it, I mean... Like, what's the vibe in the room? I mean, is it is it nobody talks about it? Is it everybody talks about it? Are you scoreboard watching? Are you schedule watching? How does it work? Yeah, no, I try to keep it a day-to-day team. I call this a day-to-day team. Like, we just worry about that 24 hours. That, uh, you, know, we're, we're, you know, we live for the moment. Uh, we, I got to be careful. You know, we got a lot of young guys. You start talking about, oh, we got nine games left, and we got to win this game, and oh, there's a pressure the next game. We have to win. Like, you, I don't want guys to get tight. I don't want them to be – Get get out of their uh, moment, um, you know that special moment for a game. I, I it's been working so far. You know the the one thing I, I love about our team is our practice habits. Like that's something that has really, I think, kept us where we are. Um, whether you know the the game we win or night before or lose, our next day at practice really dictates our next twenty four hours. Uh, I can't honestly tell you where we've had a bad practice this year. Um, and that's, you know, as corny as it seems, I'm just a big practice guy, energy guy, um, and they've done a nice job bringing the energy for us. We have to have a high energy to play this game. We can't, we can't go into a game, sleep, and still win a game. So I think that's something that uh, we've really stressed here as the organization is that if you're going to play for the Coyotes, you have to be a really good uh, focus uh, practice guy. So you're coaching a team and a franchise that has not been to the playoffs since 2012. <laughs> And we've seen in the past that this community can really galvanize around a team as a winner. I'm just curious, what have the last few weeks been like in the desert? Have you noticed the community getting all pumped up? Have you been noticed at the grocery store, people kind of high five and bumping you? Uh, what's it been like? <laughs> yeah, you Hopefully know, uh, you know you, yeah. Well, I've come from you know coming from Pittsburgh, where you know you, you know you go to the Starbucks and you know everybody knows who everybody is, and they know the trainers. They it's a big fan base. Um, you know, it's a it's a winning fan base. So I know coming here, and I played 2000. I saw the fan base with the, with the Kachucks and Ronix, and we had some really good teams back then. Um, they've had their hits over the years, and and people have lost a little bit of interest in hockey. But there is a fan base there bigger than people know. Um, this month has been really magical in the sense that we're getting more people with games. There's more people outside. Uh, you know that that they're. They're stopping players. They're really excited. You're starting to feel the buzz. You know, it's so important for our team here just to keep that momentum. Um, you know, somehow we got to get in this playoffs because I think it's gonna it's gonna affect the fan base for the next couple of years. I think with our run, um, and we have to keep that kind of magical run here to get to get to you know elevate that fan base to another level. That's awesome. Last one, uh, Rick, and thanks for your time today, man. Um, Steven Stamkos just recently passed Vinny LeCavalier for uh, most goals as a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, he is uh, so- someone who has put you over as being instrumental in his development as an NHL player. Uh, what, what was your interaction with Stammer, and, and what kind of impact do you think that you had on his career? Well, first of all, I know his dad really well, and there's a reason why he is where he is. His dad's just a terrific. His family's tremendous, and uh, his dad's just a terrific guy. So I remember when I first started coaching there, uh, knowing his dad a little bit, um, and know, know kind of how he brought Stammer up was was big. And then when I got there, I just felt uh, 
I just felt that he it wasn't he didn't the goal wasn't for him to play two day games. The goal was to get him to develop. And I think, you know, he had Gary Robertson as his mentor. He used to train with him. So if I never dressed in the game, he'd go in the gym, work on his game, uh, work, get his. Uh, I think he gained about twelve pounds that year. And he had a, I think he still scored twenty something goals, or I don't forget what he scored first year. I mean, so you know the guy, and he didn't play eighty games. So you knew that uh, the stronger he got, the, uh, the better he was going to be. Um, and then, the, obviously, the, what I'm most proud of with Stammer is the, the two devastating injuries. Those are those are hard injuries. I went those knee injuries that he came back and, and continued at the high level. You know, score that many goals with the, the Caviers and St. Louis. Like, there's some great players that in the light in the organization, um, and he's still going. I mean, uh, mm. I texted him after the game, and I said, "You're not even. You know, you're you're you got plenty more years left. So uh, he's got more records to be broken." Um, and he's, got, he's, you know, he's a big leader, and there's a reason why that they won the President's Trophy. All right, I'm going to leave you with this one. The NHLPA's uh, Player uh, Awards just came out. Uh, they did a big poll, and one of the more controversial ones that we talked about is the most underrated player. It was Barkov and Backstrom. I'm curious, in your time as a player, who do you think was the most underrated player you went up against? Oh, man, you got me, you got me on that one. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, like... But like I, you know, listen. There's so many great players that played that got accolades. You know, I thought Ronnie Francis. I mean, he got a lot of publicity, but he was a very underrated type of oh, hockey yeah. player. Um, you know, even I mean, I played at the end of his career. Brian Trotchy, another guy that uh, you know, in his heyday. I mean, everybody loved him, but I think that he was another guy. So those, you know, those 200 foot players. I you know, that you know, that's why I love Barkov, and I I would vote for Barkov too. Uh, not same backstrom either but barkoff for me a 200 foot guy that if he wanted to cheat the game probably could have another 25 more points but he plays the game the right way yeah uh, francis is like uh, uh backstrom like you know incredible player has the numbers but constantly in the shadow of other guys it's a good point yes uh yeah, it's a good, all right Rick, yeah, listen, yeah. listen. Yes. win win a playoff round <laughs> uh okay get in the playoffs win a playoff round Get us that all desert Vegas Arizona series we want to see. Put the spotlight on Southwest US and get going. It's going to be great. Listen, man, I just I'm trying to click my heels. That would be my that would be the dream of all dreams <laughs> that that could happen. But you know what? Like I said, I I, I can't go against what I preach to the players. We're, we're a day to day team. We got Florida tomorrow, and that's all we can think about. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much for your time, man, and uh, good luck in the uh, playoff race. Thanks so much. Our thanks to Rick Tockett and the Arizona Coyotes. That was great stuff. And you know what? I love these Coyotes, and I just can't wait to see what it's going to be like in Arizona and discover what that playoff atmosphere would be like. And did you guys all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no sign-ups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones to listen your favorite podcast on. Mm. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members and limitations apply. But, Greg, limitations never apply for controversy, and that is what we're setting ourselves up for this weekend because what's happening on Monday? The Caps are finally, 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 nearly 10 months later, going to the White House. What are The your best thoughts? White House, the greatest White House. Yeah, they're going to the White House on Monday. You might not have known this were it not for our good friend Isabel Kashurdian of the Washington Post asking the Capitals if they were going to the White House on Monday because they no press release, no like blaring headline on the Capitals homepage. Kind of keeping it on the down low, kind of sneak it in through the back gate to the old White House next Monday if they could, um, for obvious reasons. But Izzy got him to say they were going to the White House on Monday, which then of course sparked uh several layers of of controversy and questioning. One of those questions came to uh, Brett Connolly, uh, forward for the Capitals, a, a valuable third-line player, um, and a guy who previously had said uh, that he wasn't going to go to the White House. Uh, and he reiterated that when asked about it uh, by Chris Cook of The Athletic, saying, I respectfully decline. That's all I'll say about it. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. It's obviously a big deal, and it gains a lot of attention uh, I've been in support of an old teammate that I'm really good friends with and who I agreed with, 
and a guy who will be back here, I'm sure, at the end of the year. Uh, that old teammate, of course, being Devontae Smith-Pelly, who uh, said in no, ex- no explicit in explicit terms, rather, that he would not uh, go to the White House uh, because, quote, all the things that Trump spews are straight up racist and sexist. And some of the things he said are pretty gross. Now, when I met with Devante this summer uh, for the profile of him, um, I talked to him about his comments about the White House and what it would be like with his team. And he told me, yes, at that point, Brett Connolly had already been on the record saying he wasn't going to go. I believe he told reporters at Biosteel Camp in Toronto. And Devante actually told me there's other teammates on his team that he knows will not go as well. So I'm curious to see what the attendance looks like. Devante obviously is with Hershey right now. He will be invited, as is every member of the team. Uh, I I guarantee you that he will not be in attendance, but I'm curious to see what it's like. And, you know, I find the discussion over this really interesting. Last year, I was at uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. I believe it was around training camp. It was right before they were going to go because they won in the early in their season after they won. And there was so much talk about Sidney Crosby and is he going to go? And everyone was talking about it. And I was talking to um, there's a little bit of inside baseball or whatever, but the cap, uh, the Penguins media relations woman, uh, Jennifer, she's like, you know, I think it's interesting that everyone's asking Sid. He's Canadian. Like, no one has actually asked Phil Kessel, who's the highest-ranking American on our team, how he feels. So I was the only one to really talk to Phil about it. And Phil had no problem with going. And, you know, the stance for the Penguins there was this is not a political statement that we're going. It's not a political statement that we're not going. We're just being honored. And I feel like that's what the Caps are going to try to do. Uh, It'll be interesting if they can keep that on message or will the discourse kind of spiral out of control, which uh, I think it might. I said this on Twitter yesterday, as as per usual. I, I put my foot in my mouth a little bit and and made people really upset. What you do what? that? I know, shocker, right? What I was trying to say is this: that I said the climate now is different than it was when the Penguins went last year, and people read that as being like things have gotten better. You know, no one's mad at Trump. It's, that's not what I'm saying. It's a waking nightmare. We all understand that. Um, what I was trying to say is that when the Penguins made their decision, that was at the height of the anthem protest in the NFL, mm. the, the White House calling NFL players SOBs, and the Golden State Warriors saying, we're not going to the White House. Like, literally just going, we're not going to the White House. And then Trump being like, I didn't invite them. You know, whatever. Like, that's the thing that was happening then. And so when the Penguins made their decision – it got a lot of attention because here is the white hockey team deciding to go to the White House at a time when all of these black athletes felt like they were being assailed by by the administration. And so it became a really big deal when the Penguins were like status quo. And I just was I just don't think that the Capitals are going to get as much attention like the White House visit thing. What's the biggest thing we talk about now? It's not whether teams are going to go or not go. It's what godforsaken cold fast food is going to be on a table when they get there. Like, that's the thing we talk about now. At the time the Penguins went, the thing we talked about was, are you going to stand in solidarity with your other athletes that are making the decision not to go and with the athletes that are currently being maligned by the president? Or are you going to, you know, go and, and, and take the photo op and be, you know, window dressing propaganda like every team does? And they made their decision and they took a lot of flack for it. I, I'm simply saying that while I don't think the Capitals should go because I don't think any team should go because I think the whole visiting the White House and standing in front of the president, you know, glad-handing the politician, being propaganda, is it, it serves no purpose. Like I just am embarrassed for these guys to have to do it. And I've been consistent on this through the Tim Thomas stuff too. Um, so like I, I, I just I just feel like it's not going to get the same sort of – spotlight that the penguins decision got because it's a different time that's all i'm trying to say i'm not saying that things have somehow gotten better i just think that things aren't as intense in a sports perspective as they were a year ago the other interesting aspect of it the russians and uh they have the most prominent russian captain and somebody who has been a part of um programs with Vladimir Putin, who obviously has an interesting relationship with President Trump. So I'm interested to see the discourse around that as well. Um, Alex just, Ovechkin. Yeah, go. But not just not just programs like Ovechkin started Putin team. It was a, a, a stateside campaign to was, recruit people to to support President Putin. Like he's a he's, he's basically running a PR campaign for him. Right. Um, so I just can't no. wait for 
I, I think there's going to be one awkward joke. It's going to make a news cycle. And I think we're probably going to forget about this in 10 days. Yeah, like I said, it's a different climate. The one guy in the Capitals, to be quite honest with you, that I'm really intrigued by is Braden Holtby. Now, Holtby's Canadian, and uh Holtby is a prominent player on the team. Holtby is not necessarily a guy that wants to rock the boat. But Holtby has also been the face of the franchise when it comes to diversity in hockey. It's for everybody. So, he and his wife are prominent at you know gay pride events and, and things like that. I will say this. When Devontae told me there was other players on the team that he knew would not go, he was the first guy that came to my mind. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But Monday is the day. We'll all, we'll all watch it and, uh, and uh, have our reactions to it. But again, I, I just feel like, um, you know, people are going to see this as like, oh, you guys went at the Penguins more because you hate the Penguins. No. We, people went at the Penguins because of what was happening in sports at that time. And the conversation's different now. And I feel like the Capitals are going to take flack. They already are. Russian machine never breaks. The Capitals blog has taken a run at them for, for doing this. But I feel like the criticism is going to be more localized than, you know, prominent columnists, the Canadian newspapers writing about the Capitals going to the White House the same way they did the Penguins. All right. All that said, it's time for uh, Satch Got Your Number, one of our favorite uh, segments here on ESPN on Ice. Um, by favorite, I mean uh, one out of every four times. It's actually the thing we ask for. Uh, Sashin Shandan and, of course, our good friend at ESPN, and he gives us a number, and we have to figure out what that number is. And here's this week's. Hey, Greg and Emily. The Toronto Maple Leafs have zero of these. Perfect. Perfect. That is perfect. Um, now, normally I would say the letter V in their team name. But I think that'd be too cheeky. So I will say that they have zero. I think I've got mine. Ah, oh boy. They have zero shorthanded goals. I'll go with that. Ooh. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they've blown any big leads this year. So I think they've got zero losses. After two, two. periods? Yeah. Yeah. Losing after that's two. A, that's a good one, too. All right, here two. we go. The Maple Leafs have zero shootout games as they are the only team in the league Whoa. that has not gone to the shootout. Weird. See, I I would put this segment in a time capsule. Like, that's the perfect execution of Satch Got Your Number. We both had a number to, to figure out. We both made reasonably interesting guests, guesses. And then the thing that it ended up being was informative. Like, when we designed this segment, Emily... This is exactly what we wanted. Satch, you got your number. There you go. All right, here's Dmitry Filipovich. Joining us down the line is Dmitry Filipovich. Uh, you may know him from the PDO cast. Um, and now you know him from ESPN because he's writing for us now. And that's exciting. Uh, Dmitry, welcome to the podcast. Where, so wait, so your podcast is now with Yahoo? Is that the deal? It is. It is. I mean, it's still going to be the same deal. Nothing's going to change. Anyone who's been listening for all these uh, all these years, I think we're approaching 300 episodes now. Everything's going to be the same. It's just uh, appearing on the uh, Yahoo Network, but otherwise, uh, status quo. Do you have to start wearing purple turtlenecks now because you're at Yahoo? Or I haven't gotten any yet. I'm still waiting for them to come in the mail. I'm hoping so. I haven't gotten a 2019 edition yet. Dimitri, we can put in a bulk order because, as you know, I'm the only other person in hockey media who loves turtlenecks as much as you do. I just don't broadcast as much on Twitter. I know. I was actually, you know, I love you, Emily, so I didn't want to cause a big deal. But if anyone else had tried to post a profile picture on Twitter with a turtleneck on, I might have taken some serious offense. <laughs> well, speaking of turtles, um, the Columbus Blue Jackets are trying to prove that slow and steady wins the race. Uh, another loss, uh, as we do the show on this Wednesday, a loss last night, 84 points, nine games left. The Habs, 83 points, nine games left. They play each other on the 28th for that big old four-point swing game. If you had to, if you were a betting man, what, what would you put your money on here? Is Columbus going to make this thing happen or is it going to be Montreal? I think Columbus is still a superior team. I mean, obviously, after they made all those acquisitions of the deadline, bringing in guys like Duchesne and Dezingle, I think we all expected their offense to take another step. And aside from that one kind of offensive explosion where they scored seven goals against the Bruins, 
they've been held in check for the most part, and those two guys in particular have been disappointing. They've basically uh, put up the same amount of offense as Anthony Duclair has done in his time in Ottawa. So that's clearly not ideal, but I still think the talent's there, and assuming Sergei Bobrovsky can at least hold the fort enough, uh, which has been shaky this year, surprisingly, I still think that the superior team they're going to get through, but it, it's hockey, so who knows, and it feels like the juicier storyline is them missing out and then everyone kind of second-guessing and questioning all the moves Jarmo made at the deadline. I'm going to stick in the East for a second, especially on the bubble. When you look at the strength of remaining schedule, one of the six most difficult teams left, uh, schedule left, is the Carolina Hurricanes. And I don't know how much stock you put into that. I don't put a ton into it because, you know, as we've mentioned various times, a lot of times at the end of the year, you're probably playing another team's AHL squad. But, uh, what do you make of these Hurricanes? Uh, do you like them as a, as a wild card and, and can they sustain this? Well, I watched I watched that game last night very closely between them and the Penguins, and that was obviously one of the games that would be a difficult matchup and would feed into that strength of schedule. And I thought they held their own. There was a while there where they were really leaning on Petr Mrazek to uh, shut down the Penguins and keep them in the game. But it was it was peak Hurricanes, right? They were playing that exciting, fast pace. They were forechecking. They were trading chances, and they were doing all those things that have endeared so many viewers that have gotten into tune into the game. So I think I think they're right there. I think. Last time I checked, the projections had them at like mid-90s in terms of their probability to make the playoffs. So um, it looks like they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be in, and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it, and I hope they win some playoff games and celebrate and uh, and <laughs> disrupt the, the, the whatever is going on in the hockey verse and some of the curmudgeonly old uh, commentators get upset by it. Give us disruption. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I hope that they do continue it. I hope it's not a situation where they get into the playoffs and they're like, we won't, we won't do the storm surge unless we win a series. Like they should do it after every playoff win, in theory. Um, I just hope I don't want them to get buttoned up now that they're going to be, you know, on, on the big stage. Um, you mentioned Pittsburgh. What the hell do you make of them? I mean, obviously a little bit hard now with Malkin out, you know, week to week right. to figure out exactly what they're going to be. But if they get him back and and a healthy Latang, and and Matt Murray is competent. Like, is this a team that can win a playoff round? Or is this a team that could win a couple playoff rounds? Is this a team that could win the cup? I think they're a pretty flawed team, clearly. Obviously, it's really difficult to evaluate them considering, you know, they're missing Justin Schultz for all that time. Then Latang goes out, Malkin's out now. So they haven't really had their full core in place for a sustained period of time. But whenever you're starting with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, you can just kind of fill in the blanks around them. And I don't want to be the person that goes out there and bets against them. So I'm always going to be hesitant to pick against the Penguins in a series. But I think especially if they run into some of these deeper teams that can roll two, three lines and really... Uh, get them to play a bit of a track meet type of game. They just don't really have the depth to keep up with it. And they can clearly prove me wrong. I think I'd Sidney Crosby, uh, just because of his sort of uh, generational standards that he set for himself, no one's really taking stock of the year he's having. But this is a vintage throwback season by him, which is remarkable at this point of his career. So if he's playing the way he has played this year and they get healthy, I don't think anyone's going to want to run into them in a playoff series. Mm. One of the big storylines this year, of course, is the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are regular season juggernaut, and we're all wondering, okay, are they going to get upset in the playoffs and not fulfill their, you know, what should be their manifest destiny and finally win another cup? But in the Western Conference, it almost feels like the San Jose Sharks are in a bit of the same situation, a team that is poised to win now and has Stanley Cup aspirations and cannot afford an early playoff exit. What matchup concerns you for them that they could be ousted early? All of them? Can I answer all of them? <laughs> um, the, the Pacific Division is brutal. I don't think any of us predicted this heading into the season. I think we all sort of expected that the cream of the crop would once again be Winnipeg and Nashville, and we'd be treated to that second-round matchup that could intensively be um, you know, as good of a Western Conference final as we could get. And what's happened is those both those teams have taken a bit of a step back, and the three Pacific Division teams have really elevated themselves. And I think there's a strong case to be made now that depending on your personal preference, uh, Vegas, San Jose, and Calgary are the top three teams in the Western Conference. And so that's really going to shine a light on uh, this race that's coming up in the final weeks here between Calgary and San Jose to win the Western Conference, to win the Pacific Division, and stay away from that Vegas first-round matchup and instead get to play uh, an inferior wildcard team. All right, I'll end you with this. It is March Madness season here in the U.S. especially, and all we care about is Cinderella's. So What's your sleeper pick? Which wild card team do you think has the best shot at a Stanley Cup? Uh, that's a great question. I don't. I'm going to go with Carolina. 
I think okay. they have the recipe to potentially really make some noise and play a playing style that could really throw off some of these slower, more established uh, teams in the Eastern Conference. I don't really see anyone in the West. I know Greg kind of likes Dallas as a potential sleeper pick and can make some noise and get get by them in a, in a round one matchup against Nashville. But I don't really like any of the Western Conference wildcard teams. I think it'll be out East, and I like a team like Carolina just because of that sort of young talent and the storyline of how they've been uh, conquering all the odds this year and really making noise. Well, Ben Bishop says uh, you're a jerk. And uh, I have full faith in the Dallas Stars to be a spoiler. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Are we? Are you going to bet that Ben Bishop is going to stay in in the net for seven straight games at this point? I mean, the guy's track record of his injury history is very, very alarming. Oh no, I completely, I completely understand where you're coming from. Um, my uh, my my confidence in the Dallas Stars is that not only will he stay moderately healthy, but at some point. Um, if they're struggling, the president of the team might call anybody a pile of horse bleep. And then we, we can, we've all seen what happens after that. Uh, so, you know, there's an X factor in this, Dimitri. The, the, the analytics don't take into account the horse bleep factor, Dimitri. <laughs> it's true. We don't have one of those as a rate stat yet. We need, uh, That's we need true. A, a horse bleep per 60. That's true. <laughs> or horsey. Um, all right, yeah. buddy. Thanks for joining us on the podcast, and we will talk to you down the line. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Our thanks to Dmitry Filipovich. Uh, read his stuff, of course, on ESPN.com. Um, I think his, his column appears every Thursday, uh, trend spotting. And then listen to the PDO cast over on uh, Yahoo, where he has uh, very interesting uh, guests. Like and me. often gets into long egghead conversations. Yeah. Like you. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And you. Uh, yeah, I haven't been on in a while. I mean, maybe I'm not as interesting as I used to be. All right. Here's our favorite segment of the week. Bill Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Oh, yeah, baby. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Our weekly look at the hockey media. It's hyperbole. It's foibles. It's mistakes. But this week, it takes on a different form. It takes on the form of a 64 person, okay, let's man tournament, <laughs> um, put together online, uh, at Fats Sundin had requested it. And so Adam, uh, Jazdikowski, sure, uh, put it together. It's the first annual because people asked for it worst hockey media bracket. Now, I mentioned men because the same thought occurred to both you and I when we saw this bracket, which is that there are no women on it. Part of the issue is uh, not many representation out there, but there are many women uh, who are there, uh, who are in the hockey media space. And not that I should be on it, and I kind of feel blessed that I wasn't. But uh, I, I found it curious. And then one, I think that there's just low numbers. And two, I wonder if they were concerned about backlash and uh, can you put Cassie Campbell up there and – yeah, it, like like you don't want it to be a, a a thing where like all of a sudden it's Gamergate and like the two women on the list meet in the final just because we can't the women. We can't stand their voices. They have the yeah, frog right. voice so, and vocal fry. Not that so from, speaking from uh, so from that perspective, it kind of makes sense why there are no women on the list. But I I do feel like you, you know, just just like we want um, Kendall Coyne in the studio uh, at the at the table with Milbury, so, so she's on equal footing. You know, to have women in the most hated media bracket to me would be a moment of equality that we could hate a woman in the media as much as we hate any man. All right. Well, Greg, since you're in there and I believe you're a four seed. I am. I got to ask you, how do you feel about your seeding? Who are you most nervous about matching up against? Who do you have your best chance against? And do you think you can win? So the, the voting on the brackets started yesterday and we're already through one one. uh section one regional section of the bracket i'm up against bruce garriock of the ottawa sun in a 412 matchup now if you don't know it bruce and i have some history back in the early days of puck daddy he wrote a story that said that the penguins were going to trade Yevgeny malkin to the los angeles kings now this was patently absurd they were never going to do that it was never going to happen it was one of those, I'm going to throw a dart at a rumor board and come up with something to put in my newspaper moments. 
And so I bestowed upon him the nickname Malcolm to the Kings. So whenever I wrote about Bruce Garriock on Puck Daddy, I simply wrote Malcolm to the Kings and people knew who it was. Um, he and I have a, a cordial relationship away from uh, the Internet. And at one point, Craig, Craig Custance, uh, my good friend, said, uh, buddy, maybe you should stop using that that uh, that nickname for him. And I'm, I'm like, I felt a little bit bad that I used it so much, but I was young and irresponsible. So that's the history with Garriock. But I'm, I'm stunned, and I can only think this has to do with him being on TV in Canada, where most of this voting is happening, uh, versus me being on TV in the U.S. He's, he's, he's killing me right now. I am losing big time in this bracket right now. Uh, the current vote, as we uh, have over 1,100 votes. And 19 hours left, so maybe the worm can turn still. 61% Bruce Garriock, and only 39% for your sweet number four seed me. Guys, get out of vote. <laughs> so, a bit of a surprise. And what sucks about it is that if you look at the bracket and the way it's set up, this, the next matchup for me would be number five seed Bruce Arthur, um, setting up a matchup of bleeding heart social justice warriors in the next round. So, I mean, I, I thought people would want to see that. Now, are you, are, who's the final four going to be? One assumes that the one seed, Steve Simmons, will make it through. People really don't like him. From my bracket, I would assume that either Larry Brooks or Joe Haggerty from Boston might make it through. A lot of people mm, don't like Joe. New York, Boston, uh, mm-hmm. rivalry there. The, uh, Darren Drager is a one seed in his bracket, but I got to tell you, you have uh, Brian Burke in that same bracket, and I, I'm I'm wondering if maybe he goes on a run. And then over in the other bracket, Don Cherry is the one seed against my good friend Jeff Merrick in the first round. Might as well give Don Cherry a bye. I mean, that, why is Jeff Merrick's name even in the worst hockey media bracket? For God's sakes, he's a white male. Oh, good. <laughs> but this bracket's really interesting because you have Don Cherry, Jeremy Roenick, who, by the way, plays our good friend John Bucciagrass in the first round, and I, I don't even know why, why Bucci's in there either. Right now. Don Cherry, Jeremy Roenick, Pierre Maguire, Mike Milbury, and Jack Edwards all in the same bracket. That's, that's a final four if I ever saw one, and they're in the same bracket, Emily. You know what? I don't know what's more interesting, this or my own bracket. This is true. All right. Let's move on to puck headlines. Uh, Dateline, the World Cup. Brian Burke, who, of course, is in this bracket, feels that the World Cup of Hockey will one day surpass the Olympics as the quintessential international hockey tournament, saying that, if you look at rugby, if you look at Soccer, and not talking about the Olympics. They're talking about the World Cup. To which I'd say, how how many generations do we have to go through of hockey players where winning that giant paperweight is going to be more important to them than winning gold for their native nation? Yeah, and you know, I, I think it's interesting that he mentioned that it could surpass the Olympics. Maybe for players, I, I, I still don't totally agree, but definitely not for fan interest. I think it still matters uh, to the general population who wins in the Olympic Games. I think it would definitely surpass the Olympics for hockey-related revenue. <laughs> I mean, they make money off it. They'd make money off a Ryder Cup, too. They don't make money as of right now from the Olympics. But, man, they, they the horse is out of the barn. The genie's out of the bottle. Like The minute these guys get a shot at winning a gold medal, they ain't going to never look at the World Cup and be like, that's my jam. Like, they want to win a gold medal now, especially the Canadians, because that's all they do. Dateline, the basement. Emily, who do you think is going to end up last overall in the National Hockey League? As we do the show today, it is actually a bit of a race. I mean, you do have the Ottawa Senators right now uh, leading, trailing. I don't know what you'd say at the pack. 56 points in 72 games, but the Kings are right there at 58 and 72, and Detroit not too far away at 62 and 73. When it comes to dysfunction, I trust the Ottawa Senators to botch this. So uh, I'll pick the Kings. <laughs> you like that I'll rationale? The, I'll t- I like your rationale a lot. I'll take the Kings too. But I will say that now that the Devils have decided to start 
fielding what amounts to a JV high school hockey team in Monmouth County, uh, I feel like there is a chance that they might drop like a stone and actually get past Ottawa at some point, which as a Devils fan would be fine by me. Um, Dateline. Gritty. Hmm. On ESPN.com today, I have a, a frequently asked questions post about the NHL draft lottery. I want to thank the NHL and especially John Delapina for their assist in putting that together um, in, in sort of a fact-finding way for some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But one of the things that the NHL told me, much to my chagrin and the chagrin of all Philadelphia Flyers fans, Mascots not allowed at the draft lottery. You can't have a mascot sitting at the big table with all the other general managers uh, because, uh, according to the NHL, at some point the GMs have to do interviews and, and Gritty couldn't do that. Could he, though? I mean, I think he could. I, I, I feel I like he uses a translator. He uses a translator, but also like as if you couldn't correspond with a mime. I mean, that's the whole point is that they gesture – like, you couldn't tell that Gritty was upset. Like, he'd cross his arms and his Google eyes would go all over the place. If he's happy, he's probably shooting a whipped cream cannon on Bill Daly. Like, it's pretty easy to figure out what's going on with the mascot. But NHL says, hey, it's a classy operation. No mascots. Bit of a bummer. Dateline Raleigh. The Hurricanes did a damn duck hunt homage last night. Did you see it? have not yet and i've been waiting to i will see okay soon. so it's two of them between the benches where pierre Maguire sits or stands he never sits mm-hmm. i've ever actually seen the man sit and they have their their sticks ready like shotguns the jumbotron plays duck hunt from the old nes and then a spotlight goes on the two players and when the game begins they start firing their pump shotguns at the jumbotron so now we've not even, now we've gone from choreographed celebrations on the ice with the players to the game night entertainment staff getting involved and doing an, an audio visual companion piece to what the players are doing on the ice. I cannot wait to go watch this. It's pretty great. Dateline Tampa. Emily, I don't know if we've ever gotten into this, but do you believe in the curse? The curse of the president's trophy. No. Because the Lightning have won it, and people are like, uh-oh. No Eastern Conference team has won the president's trophy in the Stanley Cup since the New York Rangers in 1994. Well, that's great. Everyone should want to be compared to the 1994 Rangers because they get the most airtime of any team of all time. We talk about <laughs> them more than we talk about recent winners. So, yeah, no, I do not believe in that. I don't believe in the touch or no touch uh, of your conference trophy. I don't believe in any of it. All right. I, I believe in um, I believe in hot goalies and parody, mm. and that's why a lot of these top seeds don't win. I don't think it has anything to do with a, a hex of any kind. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that an eight seed could beat a one seed if their goalie decides that it's going to happen. Dateline Westeros. Your girl Sophie Turner was at a Rangers game this week, got on the Jumbotron, and when she saw herself on the Jumbotron, downed an entire glass of wine on camera. Queen. Queen, queen, <laughs> queen. I watched it and I said, this is my queen. This is who I subscribe to. This is my life goals, ideal hockey fan. I love her. I can only assume she's drinking that much wine because she's seen a rough cut of Dark Phoenix, the next X-Men movie. And she just needs to, you know, self-medicate. Or she listened to the newest uh, Jonas Brothers album and didn't know how to tell her boyfriend she hated it. Oh, as if a Jonas Brothers album in 2019 with all they've seen and done could possibly be bad. That's like New Jersey, uh, yeah, New Jersey crime right here. <laughs> all right. Now it's time for the rant line. Hey, guys. Greg needs to take it easy on the Coyotes. Every time I listen to the podcast, it's Houston Relocation Show. And honestly, it's a bit much. They're just like any other non-traditional market. People will show up if they win. And for the first time in, what, seven years, they're winning. It's the same thing in South Florida. It's the same, going to be the same thing in Arizona. Ultimately, you know, I'm scratching this one. I'm going to say like 12 times so you can't put it on the air. Winnipeg, Dale Howard Chuck, Arizona Coyotes, second most games played. 
Well, he certainly pulled the ripcord on that one and tried to parachute out of it. But uh, look, we got through an entire interview with the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes without a single reference to relocation. So if nothing else, Emily, I think we've proven this man wrong today. Just as we passed the Bechtel test with our Shannon Zabatos interview, we didn't ask her any one league questions. We passed the uh, equivalent of the Bechtel test for relocation. So uh, F you too, man. F you too. <laughs> Alright. That is this week on ESPN on Ice. Our thanks to Rick Tockett for joining us. Our thanks to Dimitri Filipovich of ESPN for joining us. Our thanks to you for joining us. You can read our stuff on ESPN.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. At Emily M. Kaplan and bye. Bye.